Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Jill Cruz, ready to answer your medical questions. Dr. Cruz's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Cruz. Good morning. It's good to be here again, Laura. Absolutely. Happy to have you here. Thank you. And yeah, today is kind of an ask anything type of a day. So if you do have those medical questions for Dr. Cruz, give us a call at 605-692-1430. I wanted to start with this week's Prairie Doc Perspectives. Um, that's the essay that you can find in Monday's Brookings Register or many other local newspapers throughout the week and on our Prairie Doc website. And this week's essay um, was written by Dr. Mark Bubach with Dakota Allergy. And he's a longtime friend of Dr. Home and the Healing Words Foundation and the Prairie Doc programs. Um, so this week's essay is about fall mold allergies, and he writes that mold spores are smaller than pollen grains, allowing them to not only affect the eyes and nose of allergy sufferers, but they can infiltrate the bronchial tubes and cause asthma. Dr. Cruz, could you tell us more about how someone might react or what symptoms they may experience if they have a mold allergy? So mold allergies, uh, definitely it's related to, again, getting inhaled. So itchy eyes, watery eyes, running nose, uh, the coughing, wheezing, shortness of breath, um, kind of the typical things that you'd see with, with asthma. And we have specific types of asthma called allergic asthma where allergies or things like mold, pollen, dust trigger your asthma and your wheezing and, and tightness and shortness of breath. So. Those would be things to look for. Gotcha. Um, So what is an asthma attack? So an asthma attack is when the lung passages uh, themselves kind of spasm and clamp down. uh, And then you have a hard time passing air through. So since the air is trying to go through a smaller tube, it makes that whistling high-pitched sound or wheezing that people hear. Um, Sometimes when you have a really bad asthma attack, things tighten down so much that there's not enough air moving that you don't even hear a wheeze. So uh, people can have an asthma attack and not have any wheezing if it's very severe. So uh, wheezing, but usually is your first sign and and symptom that uh, the passages are narrowing. And then again, if they get past that critical point, then that wheezing goes away. Doesn't mean things are getting better. Actually could mean that things are getting worse. Is asthma something you like always have or does it kind of come and go or can you have it for a couple years and then you don't have complications from that there are some people that outgrow it as as they get older uh, but a lot of people it is uh, more of a chronic issue and again the severity is all uh, depending on how long you have it how badly your body reacts to things um so it, it's a wide variety of something that's kind of more of a mild nuisance before exercise. You use an inhaler and then you're fine. Uh, and because it opens and 
the inhalers work by uh, kind of opening up or dilating those um, lung bronchioles to make it easier to breathe so they don't spasm and, and clamp down uh, by relaxing them. So it can be anywhere from mild to very severe and can be from lifelong to something you suffer with as a child or as a young adult and then outgrow. Okay. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Give us a call now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. The five major symptoms of a heart attack are chest pain or discomfort in the center or left side of the chest that lasts for more than a few minutes or goes away and comes back. The discomfort can feel like uncomfortable pressure, squeezing, fullness, or pain. You might feel weak, lightheaded, or faint. You might even break out into a cold sweat. You may have pain or discomfort in the jaw, neck, or back. You may have pain or discomfort in one or both shoulders. Shortness of breath may come with the chest discomfort. Other symptoms of a heart attack could include unusual or unexplained tiredness and nausea or vomiting. Women are more likely to have these symptoms. Call 911 if you notice symptoms of a heart attack. Promoting health and safety, the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605 692 1430. Before our break, we were talking about mold allergies, and those are kind of something we um, experience more in the summer and the fall. Is that right, Dr. Cruz? Yep, yeah. that's, that's when those spores are most common. Okay, so you might, some of us might be experiencing some of that, or maybe will in the near future here. And so we've been talking a little bit about um, asthma and that, and what are some of the treatment options that we have if we, if someone is experiencing mold allergies. So the most common thing that uh, people think about when they're talking about uh, allergies and uh, asthma is the albuterol inhaler. And albuterol is a medication that relaxes muscles. So it relaxes those muscles that are closing off the bronchial tubes. And that kind of opens up and makes it easier to breathe. Um, Then there's also, um, that's a short acting, Uh, bronchodilator. There's also long-acting bronchodilators um, that last for longer that people can do if they need more kind of continuous uh, treatment of their symptoms. And inherited steroids is uh, another option that a lot of people do. Again, that helps uh, calm down the body's reaction to the inflammation and irritation, and that's what uh, can cause, again, some of those bronchioles to kind of constrict down is you get inflammation and irritation and uh, that's how the body reacts to that is by kind of clamping down those lung airways. And uh, one of the newer treatments that have come out and that's indicated for um, moderate to severe uh, asthma would be uh, the biologics. So these are um, given by injection or IV and Uh, are generally prescribed only by an allergist. Uh, It's not something that I prescribe. One, because they are so targeted for what they're treating, you have to know exactly what you're going after. And it, uh, again, attacks the um, actual cause of the 
uh, inflammation. So the eosinophils in the body or a specific protein or what it's trying to literally stop the inflammation before it happens. So those, um, unfortunately, since there's new, there's five on the market, um, they're very expensive. Sure. So again, you want to make sure that uh, it's uh, indicated for you and that's where your allergist would come into play. So the people that after you've tried all of this, uh, we talk about asthma and allergies being kind of a stepwise. So we start with the easiest stuff first. If that doesn't work, we add on another medication. If that doesn't work, we add on another. So we keep going up to from kind of the least invasive, easiest, simplest treatments to uh, the more invasive, again, you know, if you're talking injections and IVs, a little bit more invasive than just using an inhaler where you're breathing in some medication. So there's a lot of different uh, options there and kind of depending on how you're responding to things and what your triggers are, really the best thing is, is trying to prevent the exposure in the first place, trying to okay. prevent the exposure to the mold or the spores or whatever it is that's causing you to uh, kind of trigger those reactions in the first place. If we can prevent that, <clears throat> then we don't need these other medications nearly as much. So what are some of the ways to prevent exposure to those things? So if you have an allergy to dust, uh, then a lot of times we talk about, you know, hardwood floors, frequent vacuuming, HEPA filters on your vacuum, you know, air filters. Um, If it's dust mites, then uh, there's uh, things you can wrap around your mattress and your pillows to kind of trap those into the mattresses and, and bedding, you know, frequently washing bedding. Um, you know, if it's animal dander, then not having pets, which I think is probably the hardest thing that we ask people to do is if you're allergic to a cat, you probably shouldn't have a cat, but yes. I know lots of people who do and who love their animals dearly. So, um, you know, it's, then it comes to, if we can't avoid, then how do we manage? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. gotcha. Um, Dr. Bubak also talked about immunotherapy or mm-hmm. allergy shots. And he says that shots are the only treatment that makes the patient less allergic to the mold and thus reduce the symptoms. How does that work? So, so um, basically they're giving you small amounts of what you're actually allergic to to kind of help you, your body see that and then kind of calm down the reaction to it. Because these are all kind of your body's overreacting to stuff that's normally in the environment. So everyone's exposed to mold. Everyone's exposed to dust, to cat dander. All of this stuff is naturally, you know, elm and, you know, tree pollen. It's there, but your body is overreacting when you're having these. um, And so if we try to tell your body, hey, this isn't so bad. You can deal with this. Um, And we do that by slowly giving small amounts and then working up in a controlled situation because, again, Uh, there's always a small risk of having what we call an anaphylaxis reaction where things clamp down so violently and your body reacts so aggressively to these that you can't breathe. So that's why you want to do it in a doctor's office under a controlled environment where they're watching. They have an EpiPen to reverse um, the allergy shots if need be. So it's not something you can do at home. You you have to do that in the clinic and in a very controlled and, and supervised manner. So... Kind of like if someone's afraid of spiders, we we put them around, you know, a picture of a spider and then, you know, maybe see a spider in a cage and then maybe have a spider out on the counter. It's basically doing that same whole, um, you know, aversion therapy, but on a molecular level for your body. Fascinating. I like that analogy. Very interesting. All right. And then um, I love how Dr. Bubak 
wrapped up his essay. He says, in the end, much of the responsibility for staying well is up to each of us and um, just encourages us to take ownership of our health and do some things to um, think about that with our allergies and how we our body reacts to allergies as well. Great advice, right? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we as physicians can't do everything. We have to be in partnership with our, our patients and um, I've always said to people, I can't want something more than you do. If I want you to quit smoking more than you do, it's not going to work. If I want you to take your medications more than you do, it's not going to work. Um, you have to want to get better and, and want to participate. Mm -hmm. and, and some people aren't ready yet. And our job is to be there when they're ready and to help them when they're ready. And to um, uh, I don't think it's our job necessarily to make them change their mind or make them do something they don't feel comfortable with, but to let them know that we're here to help them and we're using our training and our knowledge to give them our best advice of what we think we can do to help improve their health. But mm -hmm. it's a definitely a team approach, not something we can do on our own. Right, right. Very good. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Our programs are available on Apple Podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Being alone or with very limited social interactions during the pandemic can be difficult. With some effort on your part, there are some ways to decrease the effects of isolation. Keep a schedule. Stay active. Do something meaningful like working on your genealogy or organizing photo albums. Connect with others by letter, email, phone, Zoom, or try online games. Find comfort in old movies or lighting a candle and having a cup of tea. These are just a few ideas to get you thinking. You can do this. If you find your loneliness getting out of hand with feelings of depression, call your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We did have a question come in, Dr. Cruz. This person is wondering, is it too early to get a flu shot? So the flu shot is intended to work for an entire flu season or you know, get you through the year. Um, you want to get it at least two weeks before you're exposed to influenza and that is happening um, so your body has a chance to build antibodies and actually have the flu shot work. So, you know, you can get the flu shot and then if you get exposed to flu the next day, it's not effective yet. So it's, you have that lag time where the body has to make those antibodies to work. So, um, is there a too early? Not necessarily. Uh, you know, we have to, there's a certain amount of time where each flu, uh, vaccine is made and when it's available. I know uh, Hy-Vee and Walmart have it available yet. The clinic doesn't have it and we won't have our flu vaccine until uh, probably mid-September. Okay. Uh, most people are, are getting their flu shot, I would say September, October is pretty typical. 
um, a little bit earlier this year would probably not be a bad idea with COVID yep. uh, going on again as they're both respiratory infections anything that can protect you and we have been seeing uh, people get COVID and um, like strep throat at the same time so just because you have one doesn't mean you can't get the other at the same time so uh, it would be terrible if you had influenza and COVID at, at the same time so that would mm-hmm. um, not be a good thing Mm-hmm. Um, our flu tends to peak, it seems like, uh, February. Okay. So, um, you know, there at some time had been people wondering or questioning, well, if I get it too soon, will it be wearing off by February? It is designed to last nine months to a year. Uh, and again, we're trying to predict what the most prominent strain is, uh, kind of based on what data is in Australia as things kind of spread across the globe um, in that manner. Really? That's what we look at? Yeah, we look at what happened in Australia because their winter is happening during our summer. Plus, it takes time to develop the vaccine and then to make the um, vaccine to actually produce it. Okay. So that kind of gives us our lag time of of what we guessed. So we look at what happened in their winter, our summer, Mm -hmm. and then we start ramping up our flu vaccine production based on their data because that's Again, we see how um, with COVID that things kind of spread across the globe. Right. And um, flu strains can do that. But unfortunately, they can also mutate before they hit the U.S. and and change. And that way, some years we have really good matches and other years it it mutated before it got here. And and they can't change production, you know, three months into it because it does take several months to uh, create a a flu vaccine and to um, get enough vials. Uh, produced. So, you know, if something were to shift halfway through production, they can't change that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, kind of where that comes from. Okay. So if it's available, there's nothing wrong with getting it now. Um, but definitely I would get it before the end of October. Okay. So put it put it on your calendar. Think about mm-hmm. make, on your to-do list. <laughs> yep, make an appointment definitely. if you need to. Start thinking about... Um, getting that flu shot. Great question. Thanks for calling in with that. All right. Um, I also wanted to touch on our essay from last week, um, our Prairie Doc Perspectives from last week. Um, Dr. Laura Woodtoom is a urologist in Sioux Falls, and she shared last week's essay. It's been so fun this summer to hear from a few different mm-hmm. um, doctors that are um, have been on the Prairie Doc show and um, are supporters of the program and have great information to share. Um, so she shared an essay, um, and she wrote that urinary incontinence is the involuntary loss of urine. Leakage can occur due to a strong gotta-go, gotta-go urge, activities such as coughing or laughing, or even without awareness. Few people seek treatment for these bothersome yet very treatable conditions. Dr. Cruz, what are some of the causes of urinary incontinence? So the one where people say, oh, I got to go, or they all of a sudden get this urge and then can't quite make it to the bathroom in time, a lot of times that's related to what's called the detrusor muscle. That's the muscle that closes the bladder and keeps it uh, sealed tight. Uh, But sometimes that muscle can spasm. And then when it spasms, it um, opens up just slightly, and then you end up starting to leak and and, uh, have incontinence. So that one's probably the... um, most common one that I see people running into. Uh, Then there's other ones related to the pelvic floor muscle. So the muscles in the bottom of the pelvis, again, that kind of support the bladder and um, 
that one's more when you cough or sneeze. A lot of times it happens with women uh, just because of all the pressure that had been on those muscles um, during pregnancy and with childbirth. So that's, again, why women tend to have more issues with bladder Mm-hmm. Uh, incontinence than males do just because of our anatomy and because of pregnancy, childbirth. Um, although even women that you know never had children can also have issues. Again, we've got a giant uterus that kind of um, pushes on our bladder at times. Um, and women who have had hysterectomies also tend to have issues. Again, um, with the uterus not there, there's nothing kind of holding the bladder up against the uh, front of the abdominal wall. So that can uh, kind of cause some anatomic problems that can make it easier to have incontinence. Uh, And then there can also be issues with the spinal cord. If there's uh, issues with discs or um, something that's called cotoquina, where you have involuntary loss of urine or um, you don't have feeling in the uh, pelvic area, that is also a very serious thing that we need to evaluate and look into. Not a common cause, but if it is uh, present, something that needs to be addressed uh, urgently. So many different things that can cause uh, urinary incontinence, but I would say probably the most common is that uh, urgency got to go right now because the muscle spasming. Okay. Dr. Toom talks about some simple behavioral modifications like limiting fluid intake, which Mm -hmm. makes sense. And then she talks about avoiding bladder irritants. What are some of the examples of bladder irritants. So bladder irritants, uh, caffeine's probably the most noticeable one that we talk about um, that I can think of off the top of my head. Yes, very Uh, common. Very common. Very common. We all have our coffee. So definitely that that caffeine's the one that I'm the most familiar with. Okay. Um, Yeah, you'd have to ask her about the 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 other other less... common ones but that's that's the big one we tell people to kind of cut if you cut back on caffeine that generally tends to help because caffeine also has a mild diuretic effect to it as well so it makes you pee okay a little bit more okay gotcha and then she also mentions urinating on a set schedule mm-hmm. uh, how does that work so what that does is you don't let the bladder get overly full Okay. So again, with some of these, if the bladder gets uh, a little bit more distended, then if you cough or sneeze, it's easier for it to leak out. You can get what's called kind of overflow incontinence where it gets so full that there's, it has nowhere else to go but out. Um, so if you kind of keep this voiding uh, schedule, you go to the bathroom at kind of set times, then it never gets too full. Mm-hmm. And um, then you end up having fewer issues okay. uh, by kind of being proactive. Gotcha. Very good. And then there's pelvic floor physical therapy as a treatment option. Tell, tell us yes. about that. So that is something that uh, we have over at uh, Vera Medical Group. We have uh, some female physical therapists who were trained in pelvic floor physical therapy, again, to help strengthen those muscles um, around the bladder and uh, to help keep the bladder closed. Um, I'm guessing a lot of people have heard of what are called Kegel exercises. So that's where you try to kind of um, stop those muscles. So if you were going to the bathroom and then you suddenly, you know, clenched your muscles and stopped going to the bathroom, that's, that's what a Kegel exercise is, is learning how to do that. And with uh, the physical therapist, they can make sure that you're doing it correctly and uh, that you're not making things worse or not doing it right or getting the results you want. Um, so they've got some interesting uh, tools and techniques that can kind of help with that to make sure that everything's being done properly. 
And if all that fails, we have options for medication and other treatment options yep. as well, right? So the medications, um, a lot of the ones that people are probably most familiar with, you know, oxybutynin is probably the most common one, uh, Detrol, Ditropan, Vesicare, um, Merbetric, or all the kind of the brand names uh, that you may have seen commercials for. And what those do is help with that muscle, that spasms, that detrusor muscle, and helps kind of relax it so it doesn't spasm and open up. So that one is probably the most common medication that we use for urinary incontinence. And that one works for the gotta go and can't make it to the bathroom. It doesn't work as well for the coughing, sneezing, laughing. Um, again, that's where more of the physical therapy and the muscle uh, rehab comes in. Okay. So bottom line, if we're having troubles with urinary incontinence, reach out, talk to your doctor about it. It's common, but there's options to treat mm -hmm. it, right? Yes. All right. Well, it's time to, for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to the Prairie Doc radio podcast and show on KBRK. And we will return following this informative message from Avera Medical Group. Attention drivers, there are many bikers on the road. Please remember these rules. Share the road. Bicyclists have the same rights to the road as motor vehicles do. It is the law to allow three feet between your car and the bicyclist. Give bicyclists space on the road. When turning right, look right before proceeding. Always check the sidewalks as well as the traffic lanes when merging or turning. Slow down and watch for pedestrians and bicyclists. The Avera Medical Group Brookings encourages drivers as well as bikers to help prevent accidents. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to discuss your medical questions. Uh, thank you for your calls today. We've had an interesting discussion covering mold allergies, um, urinary incontinence, that it's not necessarily too early to get your flu shot. So lots of great info today. Thank you, Dr. Cruz. We have another question. A friend was recently told they have impetigo. What is impetigo? So, uh, impetigo is impetigo. Yep. Thank you. Impetigo. Okay. It's a, a skin infection. Okay. Um, and it happens very frequently uh, in children. It's a, a staph usually. Um, infection, normal skin bacteria. But if you um, scratch something, you know, you can get that bacteria underneath your fingernails. And if you could scratch or break the skin, then that can cause it. Uh, it has these what are we call classic honey crusted lesions so it kind of oozes this kind of yellow fluid that will then kind of dry up and then you get this crusting on the skin and that can be um, really irritating especially I see a lot of times in kids they can get it anywhere on the body but a lot of times it happens on the face uh, is where they get it or around the nose or around the mouth and then it can be very painful to, to eat okay. uh, when you have this the good news is it's very easily treatable. Uh, a lot of times we're able to treat it if it's just a small area with some t uh, topical antibiotic ointment. Okay. Uh, but if it's a large enough area or if it's kind of continuing to spread, um, then sometimes we will use an oral antibiotic to treat it. But it is, it's a skin infection. Um, I've been seeing a lot uh, of that this summer. It's very common, kind of tends to happen in spurts where you'll see a lot of it and then I won't see it for months. Um, but Does it spread from person to person? It can, yep, it can be spread okay. through contact with that, that uh, fluid that's kind of oozing out. So okay. that's, it tends to spread, especially with kids, it'll spread, you know, in, through a daycare or, you know, through a family if, 
if siblings are playing with each other and you know touching and roughhousing and yes so it, it can spread uh, that easily so it is contagious uh, so again that's a good reason to get treated for it and uh, come in to be seen because it can kind of continue to spread it can start out as one small area and then just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and uh, not fun the, the right. pictures in the dermatology book are not pretty uh, <laughs> when you yeah. get when you get the uh, large areas affected but gotcha. very easy to treat like I said if you catch it early just a topical anti um, bacterial ointment that we use and if it gets too far spread then oral antibiotics okay impetigo impetigo learned yep. something new today thank you all right well before we go i just want to touch base on a couple of things um if you missed last week's radio show it was so fun uh doc, um we had joan hogan here and her and bob spent some time reminiscing about the past and um how this Prairie Doc program came to be and um, certainly remembering Dr. Holm and um, it was a really fun show. So if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go look for that on our podcast um, and you can listen to that um, that way. So you can just look for Prairie Doc podcast wherever you get your podcast or you can go to our Prairie Doc website, which is prairiedoc.org and you can find it that way. So I would encourage all of our loyal listeners to um, listen to that. I think you'll really enjoy that um, special show with Joan Hogan and Dr. Johnston was here and Bob. And um, yeah, it was a it was a great show and we're so appreciative to Joan for all of her contributions to this program. Also want to mention to be sure to tune into South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. However, we will not have a show on tomorrow night, August 27th, due to the SDPB coverage of the Republican National Convention. But we will be sharing an Ask Anything episode from February on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube. For free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library, visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for the Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Jill Cruz for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people. <laughs>